We've all collectively gone through a trauma. None of us are the same as we were or that we would be had this not happened. And I think that as systems, all of the different pieces of the infrastructure have to be examined to say, what is it that people of 2022 or 2023 need or going to need? And how do we build for that? Welcome to a podcast of Prisma Center for Jewish Day Schools. My name is Elliot Rabin, and I am Prisma's Director of Thought Leadership. This podcast is part of a series called Research Encounter, featuring a conversation between researchers and day school leaders about a recent work of scholarship. Today's episode starts with the book, Inside Jewish Day Schools, Leadership, Learning, and Continuity, written by Alex Pomson and Jack Wertheimer, and recently released by Brandeis University Press. Alex and Jack will be speaking with Erica Rothblum and Ami Newman, two school leaders who were featured in the book. And now for a quick round of introductions. Dr. Alex Pomson is Principal and Managing Director at Rossoff Consulting. Dr. Jack Wertheimer is the Joseph and Martha Mendelssohn Professor of American Jewish History at the Jewish Theological Seminary. Dr. Erica Rothblum is the Head of School at Pressman Academy in Los Angeles, a conservative day school for early childhood to eighth grade. Rabbi Ami Newman is the principal of the JEC High School, an Orthodox Boys High School in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Thank Welcome. Thank you. Jack and Alex, I'm really excited to be speaking about your, your book because there, there just aren't that many books that put day schools front and center. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about why you decided to write this book, why this book in this form uh, at this time is the right book for now about day schools. And also, if you could tell us some top level takeaways uh, before we jump into discussing the particular chapters about Ami and Erica's schools. So I'm going to jump in first, this is Jack, um, and talk a little bit about the the first part of your question. Um, Both Alex and I have spent quite a number of years uh, visiting Jewish day schools and writing about them in different contexts. Um, And uh, as time went on, uh, we realized through conversations that we had together um, that Jewish day schools today look considerably different from the way in which they looked even 20 years ago, let alone back in the last century when I was a student uh, in Jewish day school, um, and Alex was as well. Uh, And so we decided that there's a place uh, to address uh, these changes. Uh, So it's not only that there are very few books about Jewish day schools, as you already said in your introduction, Elliot, uh, but also that the nature of day schools is really quite different today. We wanted to try to capture that. Um, Alex, in one of his articles, uh, refers to day schools as kind of black box for those uh, people who don't send their children to day schools. But we would add to that that even those who attended Jewish day schools in the past may not recognize those very same day schools today. So that, that was the impetus for our uh, decision to, uh, to write the book. A couple of words about how we went about doing this. 
uh, we decided, first of all, that it would be very important to bring readers inside schools, hence the, the title of the book, so that they could see through our eyes what there was to see in, in all kinds of settings within Jewish day schools. Uh, we also felt it was very important to represent the range of day schools. It's no secret that the vast majority of day schools, many of which are called yeshivot, uh, or yeshivas more accurately, are in the Haredi world. There's very little that's been written about Haredi uh, yeshivas, and so we felt it would be important to include one such school. Uh, we wanted to include the range of, of other kinds of schools, uh, and, and that's what we did in terms of their, if you will, the denominational affiliations. But we also wanted to have a range of schools in terms of schools that run from K through seven or eight, or five for that matter, uh, and high schools, uh, and also to have schools that may run from K to, to 12. And we wanted also a broad geographic representation. We worked hard to include some quite small schools. Our schools ranged in size from roughly 75 children uh, to well over a 1,000 students in school. And in terms of our method, what we did was to send very similar questions, if not identical ones, to the heads of, of all of the schools who agreed to participate. And by the way, all of the schools did agree to be named, uh, which was important to us as well. We also asked to see uh, the same kind of panoply of individuals in all the schools so that we did interview not only the top administrators, of course, the heads of schools, uh, but also uh, teachers, board members, students, community uh, people, uh, local rabbis, uh, federation people, and so on because we wanted to get, uh, if you will, a kind of 360-degree portrait uh, of each of these schools. One or two final points uh, about this. Um, uh, what we worked hard to do was not uh, write a PR track for, uh, for Jewish day schools, uh, but to try to present day schools uh, in all their complexity, including their challenges, uh, and to note that schools are uh, not static, uh, but they are they are constantly changing, and the ways in which schools are working hard uh, to uh, to change uh, the, their their ways of, of going about teaching and and doing their work. One of the people whom we interviewed uh, made the comment uh, which uh, I kept in mind, and that is that schools are not as bad as they sometimes seem to insiders, and they're not as good as they sometimes seem to be to outsiders. And so we tried to be sensitive to the, uh, those realities. Finally, what I want to say is that we didn't only describe, but we also analyze. And the concluding chapter, which is quite substantial, tries to pull together uh, some of the broader themes and broader findings. And last of all, uh, since uh, we completed the manuscript of the book prior to COVID, but it obviously has not appeared prior to COVID, we also uh, went back to each of these schools to ask a little bit about uh, developments during the COVID period of time. So I'll, I'll limit my comments to really three broad sets of findings in relation to children, the students, uh, in relation to the parents, and in relation to communities. So as far as uh, the students go, I think you know, uh, two things that really struck us very powerfully is, first of all, the extent to which Jewish day schools have become or are working hard to become child-centered institutions. And you know, I think Ami will be able to talk very much about the, the, the journey 
the work involved in moving institutions to place the child at the center when historically uh, that hasn't been the case. And that, that's something that we really observed in all the nine schools. Secondly, an, another uh, phenomenon uh, we, we observed widely is the degree of investment in social and emotional, the social and emotional needs of students. And again, in this case, I think Erica will be very qualified to talk precisely about how in her school, uh, there were some really outstanding examples of the, the, the length to which the school has gone to meet those needs of children, particularly in partnership with parents. In terms of parents, um, I myself have been looking at day schools for a long time, as Jack has said, and have, and, and have written a book about parents and day schools. But there, things have changed even in the 10 years since that book came out. And two things, again, that are really striking about the relationship between Jewish day schools and parents. One thing that we kind of, we call day schools as, the, as guides for the perplexed, the degree to which parenting has become so challenging and how parents are turning to schools for help with solving those parenting problems. The, the remit of schools has expanded so much in, in that respect. And then secondly, particularly in the non-Orthodox sector, the degree to which uh, day schools have become what we call repair shops, the, the extent to which they are repairing damage that parents have experienced in their own Jewish education, that parents are discovering anew what it might, what a joyful and inspiring, meaningful Jewish education might be. Last but not least is really the role that schools are play within communities. And maybe this is perhaps our most surprising finding is the extent to which day schools have and are, you know, have become and are making a contribution to the broader communities in which they're situated as anchors of those communities, like really Im embedded in ways that enable communities to grow around them, um, as antidotes to polarization in the community, particularly in, in the community and non-Orthodox sectors, but not only. So the evidence of this in Orthodox day schools is that schools are one of the, you know, one of the few places where people with very different political views and very different values can come together and, and sit side by side and be invested uh, in, in the same project. And last but not least is the extent to which day schools are seedbeds of leadership for the broader Jewish community. Really see evidence of that in the schools that have been around longest, where there are multiple generations of graduates that have come out of the schools and today are leaders in their local Jewish communities. It's evident to us that if day schools once upon a time fortresses set apart from the larger community is today they are really, they have potential to be, and in many cases they are at the heart of broader Jewish communal life. So thinking of what Alex just said about the relationship of schools to students, to parents and the community, what are, what reactions, what thoughts come to mind? I mean, every, so much of what was said resonates. And I, I, part of what I'm doing also is thinking about um, when Jack and Alex were here, which I, you know, call the before times and thinking about now and trying to differentiate, you know, what was true then and what has become even more true now. And I, this is true in Los Angeles. I'm not sure, you know, Ami can speak whether this is true in other parts of the country that the the school really had to become the holder of the community, not just in terms of 
spiritual growth or children's social emotional needs, but actually the physical health and safety of the community. And so in many ways, we've been thrust into positions of not just being educators, not just being leaders, but also being public health officials. And so that has amplified everything that, that they just talked about in this needing to be in relationship with parents, needing to be in relationship with the larger community, needing to be in relationship with staff. You know, we saw, I'm thinking back especially to August of 2020, and it was really the first time I think many school leaders kind of felt an us versus them of like administrators versus teachers, let's say. And there were so many different interests pulling at us at that moment. And for me, feeling like, how do we keep children at the center of every decision we make has been, for me, the North Star and, and, and how we have proceeded through these last two years. But I also think that, like, I think that we were able to do that because of the core of what existed already. You, don't, you can't all of a sudden make decisions in the interest of children if that wasn't part of your ethos before a crisis. Yeah, with, with me as well, I, you know, I really agree. And, and, and Alex mentioned this a little bit. Part of the, what I find to be uh, one of the highlights and the, you know, the foundational beliefs that we have in our school um, is that we maintain very, very close relationships with our students and with the parents. And, uh, you know, for high school boys, you know, it's happened everywhere, but for high school boys, you know, to automatically just go to Zoom in one day um, and, and how much was really lost there. Um, interestingly, how much the staff came together, um, you know, in meeting every day, how Zoom working, what can we do, what can, you know, what can't we do? But the truth is the school, school was now also at home. So we had parents listening in on classes, I got emails from parents saying, oh, that was a really interesting lesson. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad it was in my kitchen. It changed and I don't really wanna make you know, everything about COVID, but um, I think like Erica said, it strengthened, um, the absence kind of strengthened what happened when we came back. Um, and it, it created an opportunity for us to know what it's like to not be together and how that affects not just learning, which it obviously affects, but just our, affect and the way we go about our lives and how we feel about ourselves and others and what that means. And then to come back in a, and even though we had masks all year and all, you know, but just to be together is such, a, such an incredible difference, not just for the students, for the teachers and for the parents also. Jack and Alec, you talk about sending out these questions, Jack, but there's a lot more to the chapters than, and it, they, they certainly don't read like paint by number kind of uh, questions. They really feel, I, I would say, uh, the words that came to mind were like, they were almost journalistic, reportorial kind of explorations, school by school. And another thing that really struck me, just reading these two chapters side by side, is there's a, there's a consistency in the book at the whole, but also there's a real difference in kind of tone and method in, in each chapter as well that may reflect, I don't know, uh, each of you individually as writers may reflect just your desire, different things jumping out at you. For example, in the chapter on JEC, there's a lot of, there are these little vignettes that, uh, that you write in small print that uh, really take you like a camera right inside the classroom. For Erica's, it's more of a kind of stepping back, kind of big picture view of the school, I, I felt, although there's certainly plenty of, of details as well. So just talk about the, how you came to kind of 
do your work and see your work as, as it was taking place. You're absolutely right. When I uh, mentioned before that we set out, uh, we sent out a, a common set of questions. Uh, I was not, I did not mean to suggest that therefore we were going to use a, a paint by the numbers approach to this. And one of the reasons we didn't want to do that is because these schools really are quite different uh, from each other. We wanted to try to capture the distinctive cultures of each of these schools. And the other reason, frankly, was because we wanted to write in a more interesting fashion. And therefore, we did look for uh, vignettes. We looked for uh, certain uh, scenes that uh, and classroom encounters or other uh, types of, of uh, settings, uh, which would capture some of that distinctive culture uh, of each school. I, I want to just add in this context a, a kind of mishaberach for, for the heads of schools, uh, which even com- comes out in the conversation so far, and that is the willingness of heads of schools to open their doors uh, to us and the kind of transparency that they showed to us. Um, uh, Among other things, uh, in some schools, we were permitted uh, to attend uh, a board meeting. That was the I attended uh, a board meeting at Erica School, as an example, but that was not the only such place. That that already says something about the times in which you're living and the way in which these schools are operating very, very differently uh, today. You know, talk, you talk about journalistic. I don't, you know, that could be a backhanded compliment to, um, uh, to academics. But um, I think, like, the goal was to follow the story, right? And, uh, you know, to take the example of JC, right? This was three years ago, I think, that we were hanging out in the school. You know, I mean, you were involved in a struggle to reorient the school in a different kind of direction. And there was drama in the school, there was drama in in individual classrooms and and it kind of lent itself to those kind of vignettes. I know the school has changed, but I recollect sitting in what was the dining room or whatever it was, where you had everybody in there learning Gomorrah together and it was, you know, bedlam essentially, but there was child-centered learning happening. And managed bedlam. (laughs) Yeah, okay. And it's changed, like, and you, and you may want to say how the extent to which it has changed today. And so there was, there was something very compelling there. And I know we, we observed some very um, meaningful and moving moments. There were some real challenges you were dealing with at the time uh, that we were privileged to, to be in the room. You allowed us to be there to see these things play out. And, you know, I, I think, it, you know, it was our obligation to kind of convey these things as vividly as possible. You know, sometimes it was it was the, a vignette in the moment, and sometimes it was more uh, ten thousand feet. I would say I, w- I won't ever forget, you know, sitting in the chapel at the Pressman Academy, um, while kids were using the the space as a recording lab for a problem based learning project, right? And the juxtaposition of, you know, using Zoom in the chapel because one of the children they had a peer who was sick at home. And so whatever the creativity was, there was a remarkable juxtaposition of uh, cutting edge learning in a very traditional space. Right. So the the obligation was to really convey uh, these kinds of experiences to the reader as far as possible. Ultimately, as Jack said, like if you haven't been in in a Jewish day school recently, you wouldn't necessarily know what they are like today. By journalistic, I meant exactly what you're talking about. You know, journalists uh, are, you know, known for capturing the story. That's what they have to do, right? And and that's not always what 
uh, academics are are good at or known for. Although I think I think better, uh, you know, good academic writing is also good writing and is good storytelling as well. So I want to now turn to Ami and Erica and, and ask you about the experience of being researched in this way and and being written up what did you what was your impression of these chapters what do you feel that you learned from being seen from the eyes of researchers coming in from the outside and were there any things that you feel they got wrong or missed or that you learned that you hadn't even perhaps seen with such with the same kind of clarity until they presented it to you at the time it was you know i was young back then <laughs> still in my 30s and um you know having jack and alex because i've read some of their work before in different courses that i've taken so it was like a big deal like we got we got it was a big deal for me um and for me too know, by the way totally yeah. starstruck just awesome. it was really it was really something I'd, I'd seen them present at conferences before and they're like coming to look at our school which was also nerve-wracking because at that time our school was in a kind of a rebuilding phase where you know we stand on the shoulders of giants with the tights family here in elizabeth um and at the same time looking to adapt to the times and to grow um so I, I think even when I read it, the way it was written with the vignettes, it was, I found it like, I think I told them back then, like you could write mystery also. Like it was, it was so perfectly written for what the feeling in our school was, the zooming in, the zooming out, the seeing now and what could be and what was. Um, that, that whole uh, timeline of how it happened was, was incredible. And honestly, like for me, because, you know, I had, I had gone in from my role in being, you know, a hockey coach and a Rebbe and a student activities to the principal of the school, assistant principal to the principal, I had my own inner battles of who I was as a leader. You know, am I still the friendly guy? I'm the guy who's getting kids in trouble and being sent to him. And how am I that balance? And that was brought up at the end, towards the end of the chapter. Like how much is this model sustainable in, in that moment? Um, you know, thank God, I think I've evolved from then a bit, but uh, it was it was it was so great to see it from a third party perspective um, that really nobody in the in the building because they were a part of the system could really get a an accurate feel of. Um, Can I just jump in like it's something you mentioned there is that I think I think we felt this especially acutely in the case of your school but it's something that we were aware of many places is we were taking a snapshot of a moment in time and JCI has evolved so dramatically over the last few years that you know the question was like how many times should we be updating this chapter before there's no opportunity to do this anymore it's you know true. at some point you just have to say that's it because you know they can't you know, be any further I, we spoke we spoke about this when i read it i was like oh come on that is so not true look at it we, you know we built this base measures we have this new stem wing we have all this stuff going on enrollment is up there's no you know and i was like oh all right i guess that you know there's got to be a, you got to print it. It's got to be a secret. I mean, I, I, mean, I mean, think of it this way. Some of your counterparts are no longer at their schools. Things have really changed. We were also in a moment of transition, though our transition looked a bit different. We, at the time, we, were, we had just completed an administrative restructure. And my goal of that restructure had been to draw out different aspects of our mission, particularly around wellness 
and social emotional, like that had always been foundational at our school, but I wanted to draw it out and really claim it and master it. And so it was interesting to look back and see that moment of transition. Um, and it was, for me, it felt really validating to know that the ideas that were in my head were the things that Jack and Alex were also seeing, right? That they could reflect back and say, okay, this, you know, here's what's working, here's what we see. Um, so that part was validating. I'd also say th the other place that there was a lot of transition happening was around Hebrew instruction. We had just hired a new Judaic studies Hebrew principal. We had always been, you know, as it is discussed in the chapter, we had always been this Ivrit the Ivrit school and it worked really well, except when it didn't. So how were we going to continue building on this foundation of a really proud Hebrew language instruction program, but make sure that we were broadening the umbrella for more students. Um, and I'll say, actually, we, I, I used the chapter. I don't know if I told you guys this. I used the chapter with a prospective family who was like specifically looking for a school. Their focus was on Hebrew language instruction. And I was, and I said to them, no, we even had these researchers come in. And what they've said is that for kids who have this proclivity, the, oppor the opportunity is there. Meanwhile, I now have two of their three kids enrolled in the school. So it was, um, you know, just really nice to be able to see that some of the changes that were happening and some of the, I guess I would say, identities that we were grappling with were playing out them the ways that I wanted them to play out in my head. One of the neat things I find it having having both of you on this call, Ami and Erica, is that re reading the chapter side by side, you know, two schools that in some ways you would think be so different, they're actually, you know, you find real similarities between them. And the one, ones that struck me uh, the most were, first of all, the emphasis on student-centered learning. You were both, both schools were kind of on a journey towards student-centered learning in different ways. That was, that was striking. Another one was the, the schools are relatively defined by your geographic areas. Erica's uh, Pressman by Pico Robertson and, and, and the relationship to that community and Ami, of course, to Elizabeth uh, and that, that community there. And also both schools were challenged uh, by demographic shifts that, that were happening and uh, in some, some cases uh, impelled by economics. Um, also, both of you, both schools were not the, not the looking to be the fanciest school in the, you know, with all the bells and whistles and you're looking, you know, having other priorities. And, and that certainly comes out in those chapters as well. So uh, Jack and Alex, I'm, I'll, I'll turn to you first. Um, did you also, were you also struck by commonalities that you didn't expect uh, between schools uh, as you were writing this? I think like you've raised a really interesting, uh, a number of really interesting observations there, Elliot, in that, you know, uh, part of the challenge when finally putting the whole thing together was trying to figure out, like, in what order should we be organizing the chapters? Because, you know, we could have started off with the big schools and the small schools or whatever it might be. Like, in whatever order you, you, you kind of arrange things, the juxtaposition spark as soon as you put two schools side by side, because they're really, there's, there's so much that is common among what is so different. Uh, and, you know, Bashem Omro, like saying this in your name, Elliot, like 
you saw an early manuscript and one of your suggestions to us was like help the reader see some of those uh, points of connection so we added a, a couple of pages at the end of each chapter to highlight you know in what ways is this school similar or different from from other schools right in unexpected ways and and and, and those you know those differences are are immense i don't know that i really want to kind of call, call out any in particular it is uh, stunning how a school with 2,000 students, uh, well, now I'm giving you an example, but anyway, a school with 2,000 students and a school with 60 students share a very similar role in anchoring their communities, right? One in Far Rockaway, a yeshiva for boys, and one in, in Nashville, Tennessee, community day school, home to, to everybody, as it were. And you couldn't imagine two different, more different institutions and yet there are there are things about those schools that are just so similar and so compelling that get to the heart of the day school enterprise. So those similarities are everywhere, really, as as are the differences. And I, I just want to add a little bit uh, also on, on the differences. Certainly our interest uh, has been that readers uh, who are interested in these schools will see uh, the similarities, and especially that educators will see that they have a common language and certainly a common set of, of challenges that they face. Uh, but at the same time, we also worked hard to ensure that there would be a range of schools uh, that would be included uh, in our mix. Um, and uh, as a result of that range, um, there are sets of issues that some schools have faced that others do not face at all. Uh, to give you the most dramatic example of this, there's one school that admits uh, non-Jewish students. I'm not talking about halakhic, non-halakhic, talking about students who are just not, not Jewish. And that's a very different, that then raises a very different set of challenges for that particular school than schools um, uh, otherwise. Uh, similarly, there are schools uh, where, uh, this goes back to a point that Alex made, um, where there really are uh, some tensions uh, that pull at the school regarding uh, religious questions. I want my children to be in the same class with kids whose families are as firm as mine, on the one hand. Uh, and on the other hand, there are those uh, who are appalled that their uh, Orthodox children are being exposed to learning how to, how to uh, read Torah, for example. Their, their daughters are uh, taught that. Uh, so there is this, this range of, of, of questions then, and, and it, it varies based upon the composition of the school. Um, so I, 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 want to bear, I want both sides to be uh, uh, appreciated here, both the similarities as well as uh, the distinctions between them. As schools, I mean, I, I can't speak for Erica, but, you know, if, if there are similarities, I think we're trying to tell stories. Um, I think it's, it's connecting to something bigger than ourselves. And the only way that the story can be continued is if we're understanding our part in it. And I think for, for students, um, you know, certainly for, for the high school students here, to, to play an active role in that story, um, to kind of help guided, you know, in a guided way that they can shape their own experience in the now and planning to go ahead um, and making sure that they feel safe enough to do that because the truth is you know these these are trying times and there were trying times before COVID started and and then they just got amplified um, and I think that we we know as as educators that there's no learning that doesn't happen 
if there's learning can't happen without safety and without you know a feeling of some type of autonomy um, that that people can that students can grapple with. Um, and you know I, I would assume I would hope that a lot of schools um, would share that as well. You touched already a little bit about about COVID and. We're hoping in this conversation where I spoke to Jack and Alex to to put a little bit of a spotlight on the future looking forward. So we know that schools have changed in, in all kinds of ways. And we're we're you know we're looking at a moment where COVID seems to be receding to some degree, not going away, but receding. And we can start to, it's like a wave that goes out and we can start to see a new horizon a little bit to see and uh, to feel more hopeful, uh, I hope, and, um, and to look forward. I'm wondering what your conversations have been at, at the board level, at the administrative level about where your school is now compared to where you were and have your strategic goals that were to some degree discussed in the, in the chapters, have they changed as a result of, of everything we've been through in the last few years? Here, what I have noticed, you know, most of the systems that we have in place are systems that were designed in 2019, right? And I, I've actually written about this in my community that like the, our middle school schedule, when we were last spring, we were planning for this year. We were so excited that we were going to have a normal middle school schedule. And we brought back the schedule that was true in 2019. Great. This is so exciting. We can go back. A month into school, all we were hearing were complaints from the kids that they were exhausted. The parents were like, why would you build such an intense schedule? There's no time. There's not enough time to eat. There's not enough break times between classes. And it really highlighted for me that we have built we're going back to these systems that were true in 2019, but we are the people now of 2022. We've all collectively gone through a trauma. None of us are the same as we were or that we would be had this not happened. And I think that as systems, whether it's staffing, whether it's schedules, all of the different pieces of the infrastructure have to be examined to say, what is it that people of 2022 or 2023 need or going to need? And how do we build for that? So whether it has to do with student learning and, you know, in some cases we've seen sure that there's been lot learning loss. In some cases, we've seen that kids are far beyond where they would have been because they were home without the distractions of social and their academics are flourishing and they need a lot more friendship, but they don't need as much math, right? So just trying to figure out what the academic program looks like, what differentiation looks like, what the staffing model looks like in order to make that happen. On a very simple level, something that we've done at our school this year that I don't think will ever go away is we started offering lunch to staff three days a week. And some of it was to give them food because they were exhausted, but it was more to make sure that people were sitting together in community and talking to people because they were so siloed and they were so separated from one another and they forgot how to interact with colleagues other than their partner teacher. And so just trying to figure out what those needs are, how they're going to continue to evolve and how we sustain that in a school, what a schedule looks like, what a staffing model looks like. That to me, I mean, that's exciting work. Thanks. I'm so glad to be doing, thinking about education again, but um I think those are the big questions for school leaders right now. Yeah, I certainly agree. Um, I think those are great. I think that lunch is a great idea. 
Um, but, you know, we tried to make sure during that time that boys, the boys in our school felt connected to each other and to their teachers. So we had late night Zooms that, you know, some kids went to, a lot of kids didn't. We invited the families of our community in for Zooms more than we ever had before. Um, it kind of, it, you know, people look at snow days differently now. I don't, because I think people should run around and play in the snow, but they're expecting now, hey, you can do this, you know? So I think, I think it, it, that's what I'm saying. It kind of makes us have to, to establish and state and express our goals more clearly um, because you saw what we went through and you saw what we focused on. This is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. So I, I think for us, it helped further um, shape the, the growth trajectory that we want to uh, achieve. Jack and Alex, you've written, if I put a, uh, a crystal ball in your hands, what are, what, looking forward, what are you seeing on the horizons for day school? You know, one thing I've learned from working with Jack for maybe 15 years now, you know, working with an eminent historian is how dangerous it is to imagine that whatever you learn from the past is going to tell you anything about the future. Okay. Uh, nevertheless, uh, a couple, couple of thoughts. I mean, first of all, you know, I think a trend that we've observed in terms of uh, the roles that school plays, schools play in communities, I think there will be increase. I'm imagining. Uh, ever greater expectations of day schools from their surrounding communities. It, to some extent, that's about financial survival, is that if local federations are going to continue funding day schools in the ways that they do, they're, they're going to want more from them, right? And they want to see uh, or explore how those schools might uh, serve uh, a broader population that, that is not attending the school right now. And, and I think looking at this maybe in more positive terms is that day schools are vital institutions and communities recognize that even when their own children don't attend. And there is a kind of expectation that the schools might uh, contribute more uh, to a broader uh, population. I think that's, that's one possibility. A second thing uh, that, that Jack has uh, already mentioned as occurring in one of the schools that we looked at uh, we're aware of the extent to which parents maybe don't sign their children up to day schools because they perceive them as lacking in diversity. And that, you know, I, I think I have a, a sense that day schools are going to have to demonstrate the degree to which they are diverse institutions, not, you know, not just socioeconomic diversity, but other kinds of diversity. And kind of wondering about the degree to which there will be pressure in uh, certainly in, in non-Orthodox day schools, community day schools uh, especially, to admit uh, non-Jewish students so as to introduce greater diversity into this educational experience. Many won't go there, but I, I wonder about the degree to which that may uh, be a building pressure. So I, I would add one or two points also, not, not in terms of forecasting the future, um, but certainly uh, issues that 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 I think about regarding the near-term future. Uh, one of them is, is that we do have some evidence that has been amassed of a growth in, the, in enrollments uh, in non-Orthodox uh, day schools. In some cases, not very large growth. In other cases, quite, uh, uh, quite remarkable. 
And the question remains as to whether post-COVID those students will continue, whether their parents will be prepared to re-enroll them. And um, the larger framework here is that uh, that we know from uh, censuses that were conducted at day schools that there has been a decline in the non-Orthodox day schools over the course of the past uh, roughly 20 years. And yet COVID seems to have somewhat reversed that decline. And then the question is whether it will continue in that direction. The one last point I would throw out in this regard, which is maybe complete fantasy on my part, is that um, there are some people who are beginning to think that given the, not only the polarization, but some of the, if we want of a less uh, technical term, insanity that we're seeing in the society around us, that there may actually be a, a turn to tradition of some kind on the part of certain sectors. Um, and day schools represent that. Uh, obviously, it varies by the type of day school it is, but um, God, religion, traditional uh, values, these are things that day schools stand for. Um, and there is a possibility that uh, we will see a renewed interest in some sectors of the American Jewish community uh, in, in day schools as a result of that. Ami and Erica, any, any last thoughts you want to share? I'm interested in the last point that Jack made, because I think, you know, it, it's written in the chapter how we are, we are a diverse day school. We are part of a conservative synagogue. We were traditionally a Schechter school, but, you know, about a third, 20% of our families identify as Orthodox. We have Sephardi, we have Mizrahi, we have Ashkenazi. Um, and I, one of the things I've been hearing a lot lately are people who are even within our community seeking a more traditional approach to various parts of education. Um, and it hadn't really occurred to me where, from where that was coming. Um, and so it's interesting that some of it could be about affiliating with day schools in general, and some of it could actually be about how people are interacting with the school that, in which they are already enrolled or where the shifts go, you know, whether people are going to leave certain schools and go to other, you know, schools that identify differently or teach differently, you know, and helping people, I don't know, to, I guess, stay the course or not have large responses that may be disproportionate to the actual issue that they're looking at. It's just interesting what, what that triggered for me. Yeah. And I think we're, we're, you know, a lot of this conversation has been about the centrality of a Jewish day school uh, to not only its stakeholders, but to the community surrounding it. Um, and, and we see that more and more now, you know, even with during COVID, people started their own shuls in their basements and people are, are kind of moving away from the central, you know, this is our town shul. We're comfortable here. We can go to somebody's house next door and be done, whatever, you know. So, so even more now, the school is, the, is really the central meeting place for dialogue, for communication, for respect, for values, for um, discussions that are going to help our students, help our teachers and help us. Um, and I think that the, the more we put into them and the more research, you know, Jack and Alex do, uh, the, the, the better it'll be. Thank you to Alex, Jack, Erica, and Ami for an inspiring look inside of your schools. We hope you'll join us for an additional exploration of this book on March 14th 
at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, when Jack and Alex will be joining us in a live webinar to examine a few of these case studies and how we build the case for day schools by building strong local communities. To register for this free webinar, visit prisma.org. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast five stars and share it with your friends and on social media. You can follow our podcast by searching for Prisma on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. To learn more about Prisma, go to our website at prisma.org and follow us at prismacjds. Prisma's work, including this podcast, is made possible by generous funders who believe deeply in the power of a great Jewish day school education. Visit prisma.org to add your name to the growing list of donors supporting day schools across North America. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed and we'll come back again soon for future episodes.